Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. It's Allison. And for this episode, we have more questions sent in from our um, parents who follow me through social media, etc, etc. So thank you very much for sending in your questions. And if you're listening, I encourage you to do the same. I think it helps when we hear what's going on in other families and we see the actual application of Adlerian psychology to different situations and ages and stages of life. Of course, if I was working with any of these families in a private practice, I would be able to get a lot more information than I can in this format, but it still seems to be proving helpful enough. And um, so that's great. Thank you for sending in your questions. We'll begin with this one. We're trying to figure out how to balance teaching our antsy four-year-old to stay at the dinner table with the self-sufficiency of getting her own snack at snack time. And I think we've created a bit of a mess with it. Here's how things usually go. Um, a couple of minutes into family mealtime, I see her starting to get up from the table to run around and I say, oh, you're leaving the table. You must be telling me you're finished, to which she responds by sitting back down and says that she's not. So I say, well, next time you get up, I will know that you're done and your plate will go away till snack time. A couple of minutes later, she runs off. So I say, oh, you must be done. And I immediately take her plate to the kitchen. All of that is beautiful. In that the event that she does make it through a meal, which is about 30% of the time, she never clears her own plate and cup away. And it sits there until I remind her about it several times. When she doesn't stay put for a meal, she often manages to sneak silently to the fridge when we aren't looking to get a piece of fruit or cheese, which obviously undermines the consequences of being hungry until snack time. How can we make this lesson sink in better for her? And do we have to put a lock on the fridge? <laughs> Thank you. No. So first of all, I can tell that you are practicing Adlerian psychology in your home with these principles and you're doing a great job of it. Um, the If you leave the table, you're telling me you're finished. 
beautifully done, beautiful language. I'm assuming that you're saying it in a common collective like tomato, tomato. I don't care if you stay or go. It's really up to you. The only thing I would say is when she comes back to the table, you're, you're allowing her back, which again is fine, except it means you're really teaching her. You get to get down from our family table at least or one time. There's always the, the there's always the warning. I know that with uh, consequences, for those people listening, we talk about the principles of creating a good consequences that it should be respectful, related and are revealed in advance. So if you're feeling like that first time, if you get down from the table is the revealing in advance, it's not revealed in advance means she knows your family policies because you've said this every night for the whole week. So you no longer need to worry about revealing. She knows the expectation. She knows the consequence. So if she gets down once, I would just pop the plate away. No second chances. Um, so there's that, if that's helpful, because this looks like a combination of power and attention, I can see that she keeps you very busy with her monitoring her as she tries to like get around your rules. She's not really working with the family. She's, she's going outside the rules and you're having to kind of manage her and that keeps you very busy and it keeps her in charge. So I would really uh, sort of be resigned to the fact that, you know, you don't really know where, where she's going to eat and what she's going to eat. You're just going to get on with your business, hold the power that you do have. So, you know, if you want to keep her at the dinner table, I would do it through, you know, attraction, you know, that um, being at the dinner table is just like a better place to be because that's where the fun is. That's where you get attention. That's where, you know, my siblings are all having mummy talk to them. And that's where all the fun is. Like, why would you want to leave the party? So I would really up the amount of attention um, and engagement in a, in a positive way uh, so that it's not about being made to stay at the table. It's about the tables where the action is, you know, um, it's like not, not, not wanting to miss out on story time at bedtime. You're like, no, wait, I want to hear the story. Like, like, oh, wait, I want to stay at the table. All the fun's happening at the table. So I would just keep that, that um, you know, flies to honey, have, have the table be a really super fun time that she doesn't want to leave. When she leaves the table, it's really like you're losing attention. You're, you're, you're becoming invisible as opposed to at the table where you show up. So I would keep table time fun. And then... Um, not be concerned about what she's actually eating per se. So if she goes to the fridge, I wouldn't put a lock on the fridge because she's going to see that as like, great. Now, now how do I get around the lock? Like, Ooh, okay, man up. You, you get your dukes up, mom. I'll, I'll get around you. She is enjoying keeping you stymied over how to control her. And um, so I would say if she takes the, a couple things you can try, if she takes the fruit or cheese and you actually see it, I might just, cause she's four. I might just see if you say something like, um, Oh, uh, nope, it's not snack time yet and non-plusly see if she'll give it over to you. I don't know if she will or not. She sounds like a pretty powerful kid. <laughs> if that makes things escalate, drop it. Don't try that. Um, I might say something like, oh, looks like you've chosen uh, your snack already. Um, and then when snack time comes, I just wouldn't serve her anything and just say, oh, you know, well, when you grab that cheese and fruit, that I thought those were your, your snack selections. So you could try that. Or you could try just not caring at all. Right. If she's not, you know, whatever, she's feeding her little body. I would just make your meals, serve your meals and make this a non-issue because I think that's what she's enjoying. She is enjoying the being in charge. And she, and so I just want her to miss the benefits of going along by you not caring so much about the other stuff. And is this, you know, if, if she's healthy, we always ask, you know, are we meeting the needs of the situation? You know, you're cooking good food. You obviously look what she's grabbing from the fridge, she's not grabbing a, a, a 
chocolate bar, she's grabbing healthy choices. So if somewhere over the course of the day, she's getting good nutrition into her body and her doctor says she's not falling off the growth scale and you keep making meals and trying to create this pattern, she will eventually conform and move into it of her own volition. Um, And there's a little bit of a faith piece there that you're just going to make your patterns, your your family social order, uh, so so appealing and consistent and give so much attention to the people that follow those patterns and disregard people that are off step that she'll eventually of her own volition want to be part of that family order. So hope that's helpful. We're going to try to find with kids like that, we're going to find every other place where they can be using their power for positive, you know, where can her autonomy and her leadership and her power be expressed positively. So now you also asked about when she leaves the table, she doesn't clean up. A nice little follow-up for that is making sure that she does do it, but not through nagging and reminding. Again, that's keeping her busy with you and she's defying you and and showing you that you can't make her. She'll do things on her own timeline. So um, I might just disregard it. And then some simple languages when she wants the next thing, I don't know what the next thing will be. She might say, look, can you turn on my iPad or will you do a puzzle game? Whatever she asks for next, you might just say, yes, when your job's done, and point to the table. So you might not have her in the minute. I might not nag and remind, but the but if we stick with the idea of that we're going to maintain the family order first this then that, we don't move on until that job is done. So she's going to move on, she's going to go play, she's going to go do things, but at some point she's going to ask you for something that's going to involve you. You can always control you. Um yes, I'm available to do up your zipper when when your job is done. And I just, I love saying job because it makes your language sparser. Kids feel like we talk and nag and control and direct them and give them directives all day long. Um, so I try to keep my my language very sparse and I can u- use, you have a job to do, short, concise, for a million things. That job might be, in this case, putting the plates in, off the table. It could be cleaning up their toys at cleanup time. It could be hanging up their coat on the coat hook in the foyer when they were playing, if they spilt juice. So it's just a simple line that says that's your responsibility. It's clean to the point. They understand it. Um, So so give that a go. I hope that helps. Next question. Hi, Allison. First of all, I would like to say my husband and I both love your podcast, and it has held us um, so much through parenting during COVID. My four-and-a-half-year-old son recently started JK, and after the first parent-teacher interview, we have learned that he has trouble with waiting his turn, always wanting to be the first. He will try to squeeze other kids out of the line to be first in line, and he is told to stand in line. He finds it hard to stand still, and he will dance around. He was promoted to big brother status nine months ago, so I am not sure if these are connected. I asked him what he thinks would help him wait better, and he said he wants something to do while waiting. When he was in daycare, his teachers and I found it helpful if we would let him have a small toy in his hands while he is waiting, but toys aren't allowed in school. What strategies can I and his teacher try to help him learn how to wait better? Thank you so much. Um, well, I do think I, I was already guessing that he was a firstborn child before you told me that um, he had uh, become a, a big brother nine months ago with the birth of your second child. Um, and the reason why I was guessing that is that it's not uncommon in the private logic of a firstborn child to have this feeling of, uh, I want to be first and best. I need to be first and best. That's how I show up and I'm important. And when you have a child that's having a hard time understanding that you don't always get to go first, 
you don't always get what you want when you want it, is often the belief of a child that is an only child uh, or who's, who has been sort of the center of their parents' universe for a while. Because when we're raising our children and they're little and we're big, it's very easy to acquiesce. You know, when they cry, we pick them up. And when they're hungry, we feed them. And when they want to play a game, we stop what we're doing and play a game. And when we're talking to one another and they interrupt, we stop what we're doing and we listen to the child. And so they piece together all these things that basically say, you know, I get what I want when I want it and be damned to you. And uh, I want to go first in the line and I don't want to wait. So they want the world to unfold the way they want the world unfold because they haven't really experienced anything else. They haven't experienced the, the ironclad logic of social living, the give and take of living with other people in a group. Imagine if everybody in the group all wanted their own self-interest and they all wanted to be line leaders. It would be a competitive attack. And so, you know, the, the reality is we have to get along with our fellow man. And that means we need to allow other people to get their needs met too. So this is what we need to train our children and all children, all children in the early years. And most especially our, our only, our onlys. And we see this more pronounced with our eldest who maybe had, you know, more time alone with us in the, without having to share that space with siblings. And so the French have this wonderful uh, saying that I learned from the woman who wrote the book, Bringing Up Bebe. She's an American uh, expat raising her kids in France and talking about the parenting differences. And she says in, in France, they say, every day we must frustrate the child. And that frustration is not, you know, pinching them. That frustration is having to wait, having to not get your way. The group reality, and that's what we need to practice with your son, not just in the case of the line and the pay and that. So I'm going to guess that one way to frustrate him is to um, make him wait by uh, not allowing him to interrupt. So he, I'm guessing that when he starts to talk, you and your um, husband allow him to interrupt. So I, that would be a small thing, but it's waiting. It's still waiting. And it's also socializing him because it's not acceptable to interrupt people. That's considered rude. So you want to set up little take time for training sessions where you and your uh, husband know that what you're doing this week is you're practicing training him to be a good, civil, social, polite being and to learn to wait his turn uh, and to respectfully wait for a pause in a conversation. That's a really important thing to teach a child. And so the way we do this is when he starts to interrupt, you just keep talking. I sometimes would say, you know, instead of often we stop and say, like, we're talking, you're interrupting. That's not nice. But that's still giving them attention. And they've still interrupted your conversation. So I might just say to him, um, you know, if you try to interrupt our conversation when we're talking, um, you know, I'm just going to make a signal like I, I with my kids, I used to tug on my earlobe. When I tug on my earlobe, that means I hear you. I see that you are trying to get into the conversation. I will wait until there is an appropriate pause and then you can have the floor. But it means that I, I know I'm, I've addressed the fact that they're trying to, to, to get in the talk. And so I would just, you know, tug my little ear when he starts to interrupt. I might rub his little shoulder so that he gets the understanding. You're not mad at him. You're not ignoring him. You're not being cold. You're not cutting him off. You're right here. You're right here. But you and your husband, you finish the normal, you know, normal, but shorter because he's only four and a half. But you want to kind of keep going so that he has to wait, 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 wait. If he continues to talk, then you make your conversation longer. But as soon as there's like a, a normal wrapping up time, then you wrap up and then you, you look him in the eye and say, oh, thank you so much for waiting. What did you have to say? 
So you, you, you may be talking in a way that's ineffective because he might be interrupting so loudly that you can't even hear what your husband's saying, but just fake it. Just keep, keep talking, keep eye contact with your husband as if you can still hear each other so that he just learns no matter what I do, this conversation keeps going. Um, right? Because kids learn from what happens. They don't learn from what you say. So you need to show him experientially interruptions will not be abided by, but don't be mad about it. Just carry on, rub his shoulder. You're, you're not giving him an emotional cut. And with practice, 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 that would be a good first start. The same with other times where you don't get your way. I wouldn't give him, you know, at, at um, um, acquiescing to, you know, if you're playing a game or something and he wants to be the, rel- the red board piece player or something, you can say, oh, no, it's daddy's turn to pick. He wants to be the red board boardman today. Like they're so, it, you know, because as adults, we go, I don't care what color of game piece you pick. But, you know, you need to start creating some tension here where he realizes you don't always get what you want. So just keep thinking of ways like that. Yeah. And then, you know, in terms of actually like waiting in line, I realize he can't wait for a toy. But, you know, if he doesn't know how to fill his time, you know, you might actually say, what about talking to the person standing beside you and saying, how are you and striking up a conversation or um, something that doesn't require toys, like counting your fin- counting your fingers, counting to 10 up and down on your fingers or something like that. So you could give him a few little tactical things. But I think the bigger problem is um, he's he's got to learn to live amongst others. I think that's the bigger lesson here. Great. Next question. My son, who's 11, came with me to run some errands. However, he refused to get out of the vehicle when we arrived there. It became a tug of war. Instead of getting mad, I sat with him in the car for one hour until he came in with me without me forcing him. I thought I was dropping the rope, but is that what I did? Or did I let him get away with spoiled behavior? So thank you for the question. I'm, there are many people that would be in a situation like that to want to sort of pull apart what happened. One question I have for you is, did he elect of his own volition to come on the trip or was he made to run the errands? Because again, you know, sometimes it could be that we, when we're trying to resolve our power struggles, that we, um, it's, there's skills to get out of a power struggle. As you say, drop the rope. Basic rule is don't win, don't lose. But it's often easier if we put our attention on what are the triggers. And so it could be that you made him come to do the errands and he was like, yeah, well, you can make me get in the car, but you you know, you can make me come on the errands, but you can't make me get out of the car. What are you going to do now? Ha ha ha. Um, I'm not sure what was going on for him that he found it a better choice to sit in the car for an hour than to go in and do whatever miserable (laughs) errand it was. But as you can see, however that got set up, it became positional because pretty much going in and doing any any errand is better than an hour in the car with your mother. So uh, you can see how he got his ego got invested in his position. So you were right. It was a power struggle. And I don't know if at 11 in 2021, you can leave an 11 year old in a car. I mean, I know it's not good to leave any kid in a car you know we worry about carjackings and in the summer the heat goes up or whatever but i know adults wait for people in a car so i don't know at what age uh is appropriate that you could have gone run and done something and come back for him so uh, that's something to look into as as this continues i don't have a definitive answer there um but really to get to the heart of your question comes down to how you felt emotionally while you were sitting in the car Right. Because I said, don't win, don't lose, drop the rope, disengage from the fight. So that's an emotional, that's an emotional state to be in. Because when you're in the power struggle, if he stays in the car, he's winning. If he gets out of the car, he's losing. 
So how, once that power struggle has been set up, although it took an hour, when he got out of that car and he did it on his own, if everybody was calm, cool, and collected, it means that you were able to sit in the presence of him in such a way that he could exit the car without losing face, that, that it was suddenly um, the power dynamic of my way, your way had dissolved over the course of that hour. And that happens attitudinally. So if you were just sitting in the car, not presenting to him with your emotionality and attitude and quiet agenda, by God, I'm getting you out of this car. If it somehow just went like, I guess that's what we're doing. Well, I'll just hang here until you want to, you know, well, this is one thing we can do. Like if you, if you could, if you really dropped it and he felt like it was no longer an issue and the power struggle was over, then you did it just right. Um, so it's really whether or not he felt like he, you know, you said he, he did it without force. And it sounds like, I mean, if you, I don't think it feels like it was spoiled behavior. I think you did it just great. Now, you, I know you might think, I don't want to do this for an hour every time. But the truth is, every time you disengage from a power struggle, you're changing the power dynamic in the relationship and you're improving the relationship with him. And he's going to get along with you better because you're not constantly in this bidding war for who's controlling who. So the next time probably wouldn't be an hour, right? He's 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 going to think less of you as being domineering because you're not dominating him anymore. So he can go along with you better in the future. So every time you can disengage from a power struggle, the more you're going to shorten the occurrence of these uh, in the intensity of these in the future. So I would say, consider that a very successful application of what you've been learning. So bravo, bravo. And my last question of the day, I have one son who is turning 15 this week. He's a singleton. The rule in my house is he puts his phone in my room at night. He wants to start having it in his room at night. He wrote a paper to me as to why he should be allowed. I do not want to start down that road, but how do I navigate this? He says, all my friends get to have their phones in their rooms. I remind him that I am not their parent. He is starting to get upset at the rules and compares himself with his friends. Any suggestions? So I would say that he is working really hard to be understood. And I know you don't want to go down that road, but if he feels like you don't want to go down that road, it could feel like there is a roadblock of parental misunderstanding and control, and it could infuriate him. And it could lead to some rebellious, retaliatory behaviors, even if it's not around the phone. You know, he could stop studying for school. He could start having a messy bedroom. He could stop not coming home at curfew. He could do something else to make you pay for your unreasonableness as a mother in his mind, in his subjective perception. So we have to remember when we're working with teenagers, well, all kids, seek first to understand, then be understood. You really need to convince him. And I would say yourself, you really need to know what he's talking about. You need to go slowly over that paper with him. You need to thank him for um, laying out his concerns, the, the validity of what he's trying to accomplish. And then because we want to work with him, we we want to come at this from a position of not being antagonistic and controlling, but being an ally who wants to support him in his journey to adulthood. And so as an ally saying that we have the same goals. I too want you to be able to, to enjoy your friendships. And I too want you to have growing independence and autonomy. And I too want to make you prepared with technology so that you're a responsible user when you go into um, off to, to campus and university, that, that you're somebody who knows how to manage their tech, not have their tech dominate you, and that you know how to use it safely and wisely and 
and that you have a healthy relationship with it so you have a good balanced life. I think we have many shared goals and you're 15 now and by the time you're 18, we've got to get that all accomplished. So there's a lot we got to do in the interim and, and uh, um, one of those things we need to talk about is, you know, at what point is an appropriate time for you to have your, your phone in your room. So I would pose it as that putting the phone in your room at night instead of his room is your solution to a problem. That's your solution to something. There's some reason why you put it in your room. That's the solution to something that's going on. And so then I would lay out what the problems are, right? Is the problem that you're worried he won't sleep? Is the problem that you think he's going to stay up past his bedtime? Do you think the problem is that he's going to surf websites that he shouldn't surf, whatever it might be? I think if you lay out what your concerns are and say, these are my concerns, this is what I'm, this is what putting it in my room is, is trying to solve. And um, how can we work towards making sure that these things are not happening? And, you know, so you want to sort of make this, this uh, opportunity for him to show you that with either some training or with giving over a little responsibility or with a little testing that he could prove that those things don't happen or there's another way to look after them. So, you know, it might be, what if I have my phone in my room, you know, while I'm hanging out at night, but I put it, but I put it in, you know, from when I'm doing my homework or when I'm doing my wind down activities, but when I actually do lights out, it goes into your room. You know, that might be like a little stepping stone, but maybe, you know, you make two or three little scaffolding steps where you say, well, let's start with this and see if that goes well. And if you can handle that responsibility, then that's fine. And if you can't, then it needs to go back in my room. Or, you know, let's try putting on a screen tracker and see whether or not we found whatever that there was texting happening at three in the morning. Let's let's do some little experiments to show that you're you're capable of handling some of this. And if you can manage it for a week, then we'll talk about longer. But there's got to be some way where between 15 and 18, you're you're um, progressively allowing him opportunities to have more responsibility with his tech and that he understands what the fears are. And I think, you know, again, if you have a strong relationship and you can say, you know, you, you spent a lot of time composing this note to me, which I really appreciate. And I want you to know that I've spent a lot of time researching how to be a responsible parent of a 15 year old that has technology. And here's what I've been reading about what my roles and responsibilities are in my role as, as a mother to you. And I, I, I don't want to feel like I'm letting down my part of my good mothering um, to you. So how do you know, we need to reconcile our two little pieces of paper here, the goodwill, the spirit, the wanting to be along the same goal is is going to be really key there. I would agree that, you know, the all my friends get to do something that's never going to really be, you know, what, what happens in other households is the way other parents operate their houses. That I completely agree is, is you know, not an argument. You know, if, if Johnny said jump off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? I understand that. But I also understand that what he might be saying to you is, you know, could it be that he is saying, mom, there is um, a certain trajectory of responsibility that falls along a norm and maybe you're more conservative than the average parent. And um, maybe as a singleton, you know, he, he, there might be more conservative rules in your household and you'll have to look around and say, you know, is society off the wall? Am I off the wall? Am I, am I keeping up with 
generally what the trends are for other people. And so I do think there could be some social norms that you just want to check out, or you might just sort of say, do you think I'm a conservative, strict parent compared to everybody else? Is that it? Is that something that maybe I need to let out the leash a little bit more? Uh, Maybe I need to trust you a little bit more, maybe because you're my only child, I'm a little bit more intense with that stuff. And and maybe own some of that may not be around the phone rules could be around something else. But you can say, I could see where I might have the tendency to be a bit uptight. And that, you know, maybe I am a bit type A, I, I, I could be more scared because you're my only child. Um, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> so you want to maybe appreciate a little bit about where he might be coming from so that he feels again, feels heard, feels understood, knows that you're his ally, knows that you're working on a strategy to get him towards the freedom and autonomy that he wants. I think it's um, if you keep that attitude in mind, then you can hatch a plan that you both think is is going to be um, more in line. But if you're positional and no way, and I'm not going down that road and I'm not going to hear you, I think it will invite some rebellion. So that's the recap. Thank you, everybody, for your questions. Keep sending them in. I uh, always appreciate it. And we will catch you next time. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.